Today's scripture reading comes from Mark 11, 12 to 19. On the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see it. Perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who were buying and selling in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and say to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a robber's den. The chief priests and the scribes heard this, and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him. For the cool crowd was astonished at his teaching. When evening came, they would go out of the city. The word of the Lord. So it's the second day of Holy Week. <clears throat> Jesus has made his entrance into the city, riding on the donkey, fulfilling that prophetic word in Zechariah chapter 9 that talked about the king coming and about him being humble, riding on the donkey. The people cheered. They shouted, Hosanna. They said, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And it ends right there. He leaves, goes to spend the night outside of the city, comes back the next day, curses the fig tree, and then he goes into the temple and begins to disrupt the worship that was taking place there. I've been trying to think, what would it be like for our worship in some kind of way to be disrupted. Not by some secularist who is wanting to kind of squelch our relationship to God, but someone who's been identified by some perhaps as Messiah. To be here in the temple to disrupt that which had become the status quo and to challenge all that we were doing. The symbol of his royal authority as he came in to the city on the donkey seemed to have no place that day in which he found himself turning over the tables of the money changers and those who were selling the sacrificial animals. And yet there he was performing this symbolic prophetic act. Now we know something. We know that this couldn't have touched the entire temple. Because Pilate was close at hand. And had the disruption become too great, he would have sent those Roman troops to quell the problem to make sure that Roman peace 
would be maintained. And so whatever Jesus was doing, he was doing it certainly to be seen and to have that impact of the prophetic word maintained. But the whole temple didn't shut down. Didn't shut down. But he realized that in his mind, what was taking place in that situation was a violation of the holiness of God. And that the economic structures were seeming to take precedence over what he believed God wanted to do in that situation to remind his people that God's house was a house of prayer for all nations. And that seemingly some had made it little more than a den of robbers. And of course, when that word would have been spoken, people would have been reminded of Jeremiah's great temple sermon back in chapter 7 of the great prophetic work. When Jeremiah cried out, and showed the people their error. And they were only using the temple for their own good. Coming to be safe. They would break the commandments. They would live life as they wanted to. And then they would come and play the religious game. And pretend that everything would be okay. Violating the holiness of God. In order somehow to participate in that holiness, but so that it served our ends. What a fascinating way to look at religion. Now, those of you who've had Bible 101, you're aware <laughs> that nearly 600 years before, the Babylonians had come and Jerusalem had been razed to the ground and with it the temple, Solomon's temple, had been destroyed. And anything of any value had been carted away to Babylon with the exiles who had gone there. And God's judgment had come upon the temple. But then there was more. Because little more than 200 years before You'll remember that wonderful name, you know, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, and how he desecrated the temple and wanted to do away with Judaism at its very roots. And he defiled the holiness of God, thinking that somehow he would be in charge of all that would take place now from that day forward in this temple ground. So Jesus comes not merely to destroy the temple, knowing that it would be destroyed, but to criticize that which was taking place because it failed to honor God. It failed to give God his due in the lives of the people. It failed to be that house of prayer for all nations that God had intended it to be. So, before I say what I really want to say this morning, 
<laughs> I've got four things I want you to see about this wonderful statement in Mark 11. I want you to see that when Jesus talks about this temple, this house of God being a house of prayer for all nations, that he was saying that the temple transcends our human concerns. That the regulations that were there for the holiness of the temple, which was in Judaism the most holy place on the face of the earth, was constructed by human concern. And you see, it violated what God was saying about this house being a house of prayer for all nations because the women and the Gentiles could only get so far into that worship experience. They failed to have access to the fullness of God's presence. Secondly, the house of God was to focus on God. You see, worship is about our adoration of God. Dare I say, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about how we feel. It's about God. And in God's house, the focus was to be upon God. And his concerns to have a holy people. Not holy when they came to the temple. But as they live their lives day by day by day. And that this holiness should reach out to all nations. Wyatt, I don't know if you're here this morning, but when I responded to your note this morning, it was because of what I read in Isaiah 56, 1 to 8. And when I asked you to write that paper on this text, it's because of the beauty that comes when God talks about the foreigner and the eunuch being accepted into the full worship of God's family. This worship is for all nations. Now there's a catch here. We have this wonderful idea today about political inclusiveness. That we just have to include everybody. And, and, and that's good. That's good. But the inclusiveness of temple worship was not just for everybody. It was for those who were seeking to know the holiness of God and share that holiness in their own lives. It wasn't for pretenders. It wasn't for the pagans who had no concern to know about Yahweh and Yahweh's grace and Yahweh's transforming power. But no one was to be excluded. No one was to be excluded. But the problem in the temple, the fourth thing I'd want to say about that was the fact that there was that violation 
of the very character of God. I mean, if the third commandment had ever been broken, it was being broken. And I think that's what created that act in Jesus to disrupt what was going on in the temple so that they might focus again upon God himself. Upon who God is and what God was doing. So that's the text. And I love the text. But I want to ask us a couple of things about the text this morning. As we're in the midst of Holy Week, as we're thinking about Easter break and how we'll spend perhaps Resurrection Sunday. And and I hope wherever you go and whatever you do, you'll find a place to worship Resurrection Sunday morning. But I've had to ask myself, how does God look at my worship? How does God look at our worship when we gather together? Did you enjoy the band this morning? Weren't they good? Great job. Great job. But let me ask you a question. George, I don't, should have cleared this with you, and I didn't. (laughs) What if, what if something happened, and for the next six months, there would be no music in worship? Would you come? Would you be here? What would you do? Hey, I'm an old guy, and I've been trying to figure out what it means for me to be caught up in adoring God. What does it mean for us to adore God? To be caught up in his holiness in such a way That it becomes a lifestyle for us. That it becomes something that enables us to recognize that, yeah, we're out of step with a whole lot of our culture. But there's nothing more important that we could ever know than that sense of adoration. And then when we add the ability to worship through music in that way, what a gift of God. But you see, it's not one or the other. It can be both. But it's not just about me. Well, I was going to go to chapel today, but I really didn't like the band that was playing. So I I went and got coffee. It's not about whether we like the band or not. It's about in that expression of music Can I find that adoration that draws me to Christ? Can I find that adoration that makes a difference in all that I am? Am I willing to give of myself in such a way 
that my likes and dislikes can kind of fall away. To be caught up in that sense of wonder and worship that God has for us. I don't know what we would do if somebody became exceedingly disruptive this morning. I'm, I'm certain George has a plan for that. And, you know, they've got, they've got spies throughout this congregation who are <laughs> going to take care of that. That's all been worked out. It's in the bylaws or something someplace, I'm certain. But you see, I want you to be aware of something. And if there's anything that you could take away from this time together, I would want it to be the fact that when we talk about coming to worship and when we talk about gathering together to adore a gracious God who through Jesus Christ has reconciled us to himself, you see that this worship of ours will never rise above the ethical transformation that has taken place in our life through God's spirit dwelling in us. You see, there is a direct relationship between our worship and our ethic. There's a direct relationship between how I live and how I worship and how I find that sense of adoration to God. I think as Jesus overturned those tables and as he drove those animals and persons out of the temple grounds. I think he was wanting to say, let's readjust our focus. Let's focus on God. Let's focus on this God who has called us to be his people. Paul told the Corinthians, you know, you're not your own. You've been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God. Do you know the next line? In your bodies. In your bodies. That must have driven the Corinthians mad to think that. In our bodies? That's what Paul says. And I believe it fits into what Jesus was trying to help the people in Jerusalem early in Holy Week to really see. That when we glorify God, when we use all that God has given to us to glorify him, our minds, our voices, our commitment to help and serve others, that we're placing our focus on him in such a way that our life is forever changed, that our life is made new, and that we find, dare I say, that renewal and revival 
that comes only by the Spirit of God as we've learned to focus on him. This text, as simple as it is, makes a profound impact when we understand that Jesus, who in a few days will die for the sins of the people, for the whole world, and who will be raised that we might have eternal life, was attempting to help needy men and women to readjust their focus and to take their eyes and their attention off themselves and to give it to God. And you see, it's in that moment that newness comes and that we become the people God has created us to be. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we live through these days of Holy Week 2018, we recognize, Father, that we are needy men and women and that, Lord, we need to refocus our eyes on you. That in our lifestyle and in our ethical behavior and in our worship, you will have command over it all in our lives. And as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord in a few days, may we do it with gladness and thanksgiving, knowing that in Christ we have found eternal life. And in Christ, that eternal life begins even now. May you recognize Christ's place in your life Go in peace. You are dismissed.